listening to Raise Capital on WRIRLP 97.3 FM with me, Chelsea Higgs-Wise, as we interrogate the racial narratives in the fallen capital of the Confederacy, Richmond, Virginia. This week, Race Capital brings you what we're calling Project Innocence. After the Race Capital reframe this week, you'll hear my interview with Jared Adams, currently a lawyer but formerly incarcerated under false charges in Wisconsin. Thanks to national organizations like the Innocence Project, Jared Adams and others like him have a chance at redemption, and now Jared Adams is helping others, including our brothers locked away in Sussex County. Jared Adams currently represents two men who have been incarcerated since 1998, acquitted of murder, found not guilty, yet remains behind bars. The Waverly Commonwealth attorney refuses to do anything. The attorney general isn't doing anything. In Race Capital, we are demanding the attention of our listeners to hear that these cases are not outliers, and those that have the power to reverse these injustices are refusing to use it. Prison for Profit impacts us all because at any moment, Terrence Richardson and Farron Claiborne could be any one of us. Stay tuned for more on their story and more on the vigil being held in Waverly on November 2nd. I'm Chelsea Higgs-Wise, and up next is the Race Capital Reframe. We thank you for listening. Stay tuned. week on Race Capital, I have both of my co-hosts with me. Kalia Harris. And me, Naomi Isaac. Hey, y'all. What up, what up? How y'all doing? Okay, so let's jump right on in to local news. Surprise, surprise. Chief Smith is not transparent. The uh, most recent external board that the chief is proposing, he is at this point not revealing all of the names on the board, nor is he inviting press to cover such meetings. What do y'all think about this transparency from the chief? Surprised? No, I'm not surprised at all. You know, the Public Safety Committee met yesterday and speaking of things that we're not surprised about, two ex-law enforcement officers were recommended to the quote unquote independent task force that were pushed forward by advocates such as the Richmond Transparency and Accountability Project. This independence states that there should be no law enforcement on there and that they can seek out law enforcement if needed for guidance. Not to mention that the Virginia General Assembly just passed a bill in both chambers that would not allow current law enforcement officers nor former law enforcement officers to be a part of such boards. So why in the world are we putting law enforcement officers on this task force? Well, leave it up to Kim Gray and Reva Trammell to place these ex-Leos on the board. Not to mention these ex-Leos are also members of the Crusade for Voters that also just came out to endorse Kim Gray for mayor. Again, is anyone shocked? It's really unsurprising given just the history of this city and being unable to depart from public safety or in reimagining that public safety without cooperation from law enforcement. They've completely demonstrated an unwillingness to even try to just do anything just with the residents of the community. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned them not trying to do anything because in the news this past week, Virginia State Police were caught trying not to fill a FOIA or Freedom of Information Act from a journalist at The Nation. Well, he ended up tweeting out he was threatening to sue the Virginia State Police. And then surprisingly, his FOIA case reopened. 
I look forward to that investigation. About to say he could join the lawsuit club. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, there's more in Virginia State Police, but it looks like not so great for Virginia's just trying to drive and be safe right here in the Commonwealth. A judge has sided with the police departments across the Commonwealth as they are going to allow police to continue to track license plates. There is some type of technology out there that can track your license plate and store your information. Advocates at the ACLU of Virginia say that this reaches a level of privacy for constituents. But this week, the judge of Virginia has sided with the police. So this will continue. Moving on to evictions in Richmond, it looks like that RRHA this week began to accept applications for a lottery for vouchers. On October 12th, things opened up and 5,000 slots opened up on the Housing Choice Voucher Program. For the first time in five and a half years did this wait list open up. And when it opened up, 7,800 people applied. That total rose to about 15,000 by Friday evening when the wait list closed. So for the first time in five years, the wait list opens, and now we have 15,000 people on the wait list for housing in the number two city across the nation for evictions. This will get worse. Be interested in seeing the profits of the landlords and the housing developers during this time, because I know at least in my neighborhood here on Southside, I'm seeing a lot of construction. I'm seeing a lot of renovations being done to apartments. Um, Meanwhile, you know, a lot of people are facing severe housing instability. So I'd be interested in seeing that correlation. Naomi, do you have any insight about another piece in the news this week about community defense and stopping an eviction that happened this week? So I I know that a lot of people have heard that community members came out to stop an eviction, an illegal eviction that was set to happen this past week. And I think it really demonstrates uh, the power of the people and also the willingness of, you know, the people to continue. The fact that the movement's not done, you know, I think a lot of the press has gone away. Obviously, that that story was covered, but I think a lot of the attention has really gone away from these other ways that folks are really showing up, creating these alternatives to our normal options when it comes to relying on the state and relying on care. So I think it was like just really heartwarming to see everyone come out. We had breakfast and... (laughs) It was. And again, that was an illegal eviction that was about to take place. There is a moratorium on evictions, at least until the rest of the year. But there are still landlords out here attempting to evict people. Speaking of evictions, it looks like Robert E. Lee Monument might finally be getting their eviction notice. The judge ruled yesterday in the Commonwealth on the side of the Attorney General of Virginia that the monument has to come down and it is a tool of white supremacy. So we will see if that will not be appealed and what that process will look like. Not after they done arrested everybody and tear gassed folks over taking down monuments. There's some real injustice to be thought about there when it's, you know, they're going to pass legislation to take down monuments that people have been crying out against for not just the summer, but years, really. Years. Years. And speaking of tearing down monuments, Virginia Military Institute was in the news this week. It looks like after much came out with many other students and Black students, students of color, talking about the racism that they are experiencing, even former Governor Wilder put out a statement demanding the resignation of the Board of Trustees. And this past week, the superintendent PA has resigned after Governor Northam sent a letter to the Board of Visitors announcing an investigation into the school's culture. Y'all, I wonder if this will be the same type of investigation that happened 
on his yearbook and the medical school's culture. But I think this calls into question a larger cause for investigation into these board of visitors across all these campuses because BMI is obviously an example of this institutionalized racism, but institutionalized racism exists in all the campuses across the Commonwealth. And we have bad actors on all of these board of visitors. Hint, hint, VCU. Mm, come on. Virginia Columbus University. Looks like the $19 million of the surplus money is going to go to retirement benefits for city employees after much discussion in the council. The last couple of years, the city has had a surplus. And after much press conferences, the city council finally did come to their final decision. Update here in Richmond of COVID. Multiple, multiple bars here in Richmond have been shut down for ignoring the COVID precautions. And unfortunately, we're hearing that Tyler's Retreat, an assisted living home in Chesterfield County, has been hit hard by the COVID virus. There are already 11 deceased and the virus is continuing to spread. This is a very serious disease. We must all be taking care of each other and our loved ones and communicating, keeping each other safe. Finally, in local news, I will just say that early voting ends this coming Saturday. Make sure you're finding your polling place if you are voting and you keep watch with what's going on there. So we're going to spread out, open up wider to the national news and surprise, surprise, it looks like California is joining a few other states that are not going to trust the federal government's vaccine when one comes out. They're saying that they will put together their own independent review on whether or not they are trusting the vaccine to come out. Also in national news, it looks like these rideshare companies like Uber and Lyft will have to qualify their drivers as employees to offer some type of protections. When you look at that, workers need protections. Oof. Clea, what do you got? Speaking of protections, the San Quentin prison in California, a court has ruled that they are going to reduce their population of incarcerated individuals due to the outbreaks that are happening. Hint, hint to our Virginia jails. And also we have co-founder of the Black Lives Matter organization, Alicia Garza, had the FBI visit her house this past week. They said they arrested a man in Idaho on weapons charges who they believe was affiliated with white supremacist groups. They found Alicia's name on a list in his home alongside many others. Y'all, this is frightening. It's frightening. Yeah. I felt the the blood chill through my bones when I read that news. The more that they threaten people, the more we're going to normalize it. And the more it's going to trickle down to everyday people that want to voice their opinion, their First Amendment rights. It's going to be suppressed. And more than First Amendment rights, just the right to voice dissent, you know, and have, have an opinion about public safety and have an opinion about social organization. That's an inherent human right. <laughs> the end to think that they just possess the power to completely criminalize that and throw pe- lock people up and antagonize them and bring them harm and terror is so frightening, as you all both said. On the, the note of harm and terror, U.S. ICE officers have used torture to make Africans sign their own deportation orders. This is something that we found out over the last week. Cameroonians said that officers have choke them, beat them, and even threatened to kill them if they did not sign their own deportation orders. And this is what we're hearing from lawyers. 
So the ICE violence continues. But in other news, there is a large oil spill that is causing a state of environmental emergency that has been called for by fishermen in Trinidad and Tobago over a sinking oil tanker with 1.3 million barrels of oil. If these millions of barrels of oil spill, it could threaten the entire Southern Caribbean region. Y'all, this could be a real disaster. And it will have lasting impacts on migration patterns. And we know that Black migrants particularly become criminalized by the U.S. justice system. So it's only a matter of time before this problem reaches our land. And, you know, we have to start. That's the broader issue when we think about climate injustice. You know, a lot of people just think about the oil and the fish, which is like very important, the ecosystem and protecting it. But there's also lives that are being impacted right now, not in the future, but right now. And it it's incorporated in immigration policy and xenophobia and so much more that I think gets missed in the broader context of climate justice conversations. And lastly, in international news, we wanted to update our listeners on what's happening in Nigeria. Amnesty International continues to call for an investigation on the military for killing dozens of protesters who have been calling for an end to the SARS unit in their country. While the president has agreed to disband SARS, the unit has been replaced with a SWAT unit. And of course, the protesters are still not satisfied. We still have not heard any updates about the protester who was taken into police custody after recording the police murder that sparked the recent uprisings in the country. They're holding him on charges like cyber crimes and things like that. It's happening everywhere. It's here. It reminds me of the cases where the initial BLM uprisings happened of people that were capturing what the police were doing and they're being charged and held, intimidated. This is a worldwide tactic. Yeah. And at this point, it's not just the police. It's also people in Idaho, folks that have deputized themselves as arms of the law. But y'all, that's all we have today in our Reframe News. Thank you so much to both of my co-hosts, Kalia Harris, Naomi Isaac. And y'all, I'm really excited for our guest this week, Jared Adams, who's joining us. His work has been deeply rooted in liberation and setting them free, which you know right here at Race Capital is what we are about. Jared Adams comes out of state here in the Commonwealth to bring justice to Virginia Commonwealth. And he's here to talk to us about two gentlemen that are fighting for their lives in Waverly County. Stay tuned to hear from Jared Adams and more about the case of Terrence Richardson and Farone Claiborne. Thanks for listening to Race Capital. But Jared Adams, tell me a little bit about who you are. I hit Google and I found you all over the internet as well, not just this case. Well, look, I want to thank you first for giving me the opportunity to, to speak. Platforms are extremely difficult to come by, especially you know, when you're, you're asking for justice and equality. Um, my, my story started, you know, 1998. Uh, I'm a Southside teenager, me and a couple friends, we go and attend a party in the neighboring state of Wisconsin. I was born and raised on the South side of Chicago. We go to a party, there's a consensual encounter and we were falsely accused of a rape that the authorities knew was false from the very beginning. Um, we were charged, ultimately wrongfully convicted, I was sentenced to serve 28 years in prison and, you know, I was 18 turning 19 at the time. Wow. I got to prison, um, 
All I had was my high school education. And, you know, when I got there, you're talking about a prison, you know, that was, was, was made up of mostly, you know, grown men who were serving out 50, 60 year sentences. When you are incarcerated in some states and some jurisdictions, the amount of time you get, you know, decides your security level. So I was in a maximum slash super maximum prison. Um, you know, by the grace of God, though, one day uh, something happened in the prison and we ended up being on, on a lockdown. And when I was on lockdown, I had a cellmate who was an older white guy. And I was having a conversation with my mother on the phone one night. He overheard it. And in, in prison, when you're on a lockdown, well, they're, they're, they're doing whatever investigation they need to do to make sure it's not a riot or make sure, you know, things aren't going to escalate and get out of control. So during this time, they'll bring you the phone, you know, to your cell on different people's phone night. Mm -hmm. So as I'm explaining to my mother and my aunts, you know, my mom, she's no different than any, you know, uh, from the South mom where she, you get on the phone, she's going to patch in all five of us sisters at one time. Right. right. Um, so. We're, we're talking on the phone and she's just, you know, she doesn't get it. I don't have a story of being in the streets and, you know, turning my life around. You know, I, I didn't get into trouble like that. So mm -hmm. she and my aunts were confused. And so in, in, in having a conversation and trying to explain to them my limited education and understanding of the law at the time, my cellmate overheard it and he was just like, man, if you don't mind, you know, I want to talk to you. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, what's going on? And he's like, I'm just confused. He's like, you know, you... You know, you, you get up every day, you go out here, play basketball, you work out, you play chess. Man, you don't you don't act like anyone that's innocent. You know, you 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 just, you know, that's not what innocent people do. So I explained to him that, you know, I had a, a lawyer working on my appeal, and he looked at me with a straight face and he said, Look, you had a lawyer working on your your, your trial, and how'd that end up? Mm. And so from that point on, you know, I started to learn a law and it was painstakingly difficult. I did not grasp it at first. Um, what I've realized in, 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 in where I am now is that our counterparts get a significant head start education-wise on us. So by the time we get to something, we're steadily playing catch-up, and that's exactly what was going on with me, but, but, but it was me doing it while years of my life were, were going away. Um, eventually, I was able to get the help of the Wisconsin Innocence Project. The Wisconsin Innocence Project came and we, we, we were able to show that it wasn't an accident. The police withheld a statement that corroborated and supported, you know, me and my friend's version of events, you know, that night. Hmm. So once this, this statement was, was, was able to come to the light, they were, the case was argued all the way up to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. So the case was argued up all the way to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, where the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously overturned my conviction um, you know, my record was expunged and I was released in February of 2007. So just to go back really quickly, you said that there was a piece of evidence that the prosecutor's office, the police had from a witness statement that just mm -hmm. never showed up in the court. It never showed up. And conveniently, you got to think about this. If it was a statement, you know, alleging my guilt, do you think it would have been misplaced? Mm. So how, how did that piece come to light? So it came to like, you know, I was in, when I was in prison, I was doing a lot of writing, right? And I was writing to different people, writing to different lawyers. And my co-defendant's lawyer was the one who was actually able to go in and get it produced, 
Mm-hmm. And, and find out about it because at the time, you know, you we're we're kids. We're 17, 18 years old. You know, our experience at the time with the law was law and order. You never right. seen one of these Dick Wolf episodes where it's a wrong wrongful conviction and something happens. You just don't see that being depicted, you know, on on national television. Right. So all we could do is pretty much say, man, look, that didn't happen like that. That's not the truth. We didn't realize that creating a timeline of events would show impossibility, mm-hmm. you know, what we were being alleged of. And, and quite frankly, look, to not, you know, hide, you know, and be completely transparent, they Emmett Tilled us. That's what mm-hmm. they did. This was a Caucasian accuser. We were three black boys from Chicago and they, you could have came up with every, with any outlandish scenario that you wanted to, and they were going to want to believe that or make themselves believe it. And what year was this? This was in 1998. 1998. Black men getting lynched. Absolutely. In Wisconsin. And, you know, for folks who aren't familiar with the state of Wisconsin, Wisconsin per capita locks up more African-American males than any state in the country. Damn. Damn. No, we wouldn't think like that. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's the skeleton in the closet. So this piece of evidence was produced. It came out. How, how hard then was it for you to be released? What was that process like? The process was this. So the, the evidence came out very early. I had to appeal for another six and a half years before my conviction was reversed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. The prosecutor had an opportunity to, when it, when it came to light, he had an opportunity and a duty to reverse the conviction and move for it to be reversed because he knew the evidence wasn't in front of the jury, you know, that, that convicted. He decided not to and let us appeal for six and a half years only for the circuit, Seventh Circuit, to, to decide in the manner in which he could have and should have seven and a half years ago. You know, you brought up the point of Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. And for many of us, Black folks included, we see this as, a, as an outlier, right? This awful story that happened. We're hearing that this, this happened to you in 1998. We're hearing that not only did the charge happen to you, but now the system has worked exactly the way it's supposed to and has maintained you in a, in a cage, in a jail. This is the idea, we talk a lot about race capital, that slavery has actually never been abolished. Mm-hmm. And the same narratives from so long ago are still being used on us right now for this prison for profit model. And to come to light and say, you know, they Emmett tilled us, I think it's an important statement to hear and listen to because of how prevalent it is. So you served seven, um, seven more years. So my conviction was, was my conviction was reversed in February of 2007. Mm-hmm. I came home um, and I'm not going to sit up here and, and make it seem like, you know, I came home ready to tackle the world. You know, I wasn't, I was battered. I was broken. And it was, it was the, the, the loving embrace and the prayers for my family, you know, that, that, you know, encourage me to go and get therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to touch on that for for a second, um, I'm, 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 I see that it's getting better, but it needs to continue to get better in terms of the African-American community um, and people of color in general being accepting of, of mental health care and therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is because we don't deal with post-traumatic anything 
we deal with persistent traumatic stress in these communities of color, in these impoverished areas. And I was no different. You know, I came home thinking that I would just be able to catch up. And, and it was simply, and it was impossible, you know, and, and it would it would hit home during the, during the small things. You know, I would be sitting there and looking through the photo album and, you know, we're all kids, me and my brother and my cousins, and, you know, we're all, you know, eighth grade graduation, you know, prom, and my pictures stop after prom. Theirs continue. And mine's don't start again until I'm 27 years old. And how do you ever get that back, right? What is even the cost of that? So there, there is no, there. you know, I say this all the time. You know, my conviction was reversed, but the damage was not. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm doing right now is this. I'm regurgitating the pain and the suffering into the fuel that's driving me to tackle injustices like the case of Terrence and Farron. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how, and now that this experience happened to you, how prevalent are you seeing that this is experience, this experience is happening to people all over the country? It goes, it goes to what you just said. I mean, this isn't, look, this isn't, this isn't an accident. This is, this is, see, when, when accidents happen, you go to fix them, right? When, 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 when plans happen, you make excuses for why you can't fix them. Mm. And that's exactly what this is. This is a plan. And I and I and I've looked at, you know, how the, the system is set up. I've looked at, you know, the 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 pitfalls that that are there that are screaming to be fixed and they're being ignored. And they're being ignored because it's only having a disproportionate effect on people of color. Mm-hmm. And 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 I I I just, you know, I can't state this enough. When one of us does get in position. It, it, it is in our best interest to open that position and extend our palm and reach back to pull others in that same position in order to really be able to affect equality. If you get there and you're silent and you don't want to get involved, you're actually deep involved mm-hmm. and you're deep involved on the side of perpetuation. Silence perpetuates injustice. That's what it does. Right. There's no real way to combat this unless you are actively resisting. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. Look, you got to disturb the ground for the pro- for the crops to grow. Mm. Mm. So how did you find the case here in the Commonwealth of Virginia as you were doing this work across the country? So, and, and I have a national firm. I have offices in New York, Chicago, and Milwaukee, and I'm opening up one out in LA um, next year sometime. Um, you know, I, I was invited to the Virginia uh, Sheriff's Association event by a, a wonderful woman that I met named Sheriff Vanessa Crawford. And this, at this event, this event was the reinstatement of people's rights after um, serving out their sentence. So I was a part of this event where the the governor reinstated the rights of these individuals and I spoke and I just told my story and I basically told it from a perspective of this. I never get up and try to stick my chest out like a 10 foot peacock and act like, you know, I knew this was gonna happen. I knew I was gonna be here. That's not the case. It's not the truth. And I try to humanize as much as possible what I've went through because 
that sometimes is the only time you can get people to stop picking a side and, 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 and start to consider the human, you know, you know, realizations and effects that injustices have on people's lives. And so as I'm telling the story about how my aunts and my mother would equally, you know, send letters or send Bible verses and just encourage me to keep going, you know, I told them that, you know, there were times that I most certainly didn't feel like keeping going, but I did. And, and, and I am a living example and proof that you never, ever let anyone or any circumstance place a period where God only intended a comma to be in your life. And that's exactly what, what I was explaining to, to this group. Mm -hmm. At the end of this conversation, um, Ferran's aunt, uh, you know, a lady by the name of Mary Claiborne came up and she had some papers in her hand. And she just, you know, I could just tell that, that, that she was just a, a, a ball of, of nervousness, anxiousness, and just hope. And she gave me a document, you know, that was giving me a general synopsis of the of the case. So I went and I did my research. I did my research. Um, I started to look into the case and that was three and a half years ago. And I'm here now today, you know, basically done with the investigation. Um, I know what happened and I know what's happening right now. And I know what's not happening. And I could not, I could not walk away without seeing this thing through. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm right here in Richmond, the capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I had never heard of this case. So really quickly, would you mind telling us how did Terrence Ferron even get here? Yeah. So in 19, 1998, 19, leading up until 1999, an officer in Waverly, Virginia was shot behind an apartment complex. Um, police arrived on the scene. The officer was able to give a uh, a dying declaration of who his suspects were. He gave a description out uh, of someone with dreadlocks, another person, you know, uh, uh, short, skinny, bald head. Um, and I can only describe what happened next as a roundup of almost all black men in the county, right? Um, they were rounded up, they were taken to Chesapeake and they were interrogated, given lie detectors tests, and they were pitted against one another until someone said something. And when you do that, you don't get the truth. Oftentimes you don't get the truth. Oftentimes you get exactly what you're asking for, someone to just say something, right? So in this case, that's exactly what happened. People were in there, they were scared and they were just throwing out names. For whatever reason, they landed on the name for Ron and Terrence. It was a guy who Terrence knew who he was spending the night over from time to time when he would, because Terrence and Ferran both, they didn't, they didn't stay in Waverly anymore. They grew up in Waverly, but they moved on to Richmond and they would come back and visit to visit their kids or visit their girlfriends and family that was still down there. Mm -hmm. There was a guy um, who the state called their, their, their number one witness who was charged with a bunch of different crimes at the time. He worked out an agreement and came up with an outlandish story that absolutely had nothing to support it. So these guys are facing a death penalty. They had some of the worst advice by counsel that I've ever saw, ever. Mm. They ended up getting a bond 
Have you ever heard of, of two black men killing a police officer and getting a bond? I rarely hear of them living, much less getting a bond. Exactly. So these two got a bond. After they were out on bond, they entered into some plea agreements at the advice of counsel because the, lawyer, the lawyers were telling them this. Look, you're definitely going to face the death penalty. You definitely are not going to get a jury pool that looks like you. You most certainly are going to get found guilty no matter what you say because just, just historically how things go in our society and our country. Now, I know for people who are looking at this, they're probably saying, there's no way I would plead guilty to something like that. Yeah, you don't really know how hot stuff is until you're in the frying pan, right? Mm -hmm. And in this situation, they offered Ferran time served for accessory after the fact one year. And they offered Terrence a five-year manslaughter charge that would have saw him out in a couple years. Mm -hmm. So they're thinking that this was over with, right? Right, right. The feds come and indict based on the same murder and they use the vehicle of a false drug conspiracy narrative. Wait, so um, hold on, let's back up. So you say that they, they take a plea deal to the local investigation and so they it's done, they've taken it, they think it's that they, hey, this is, we got, we're, we're not serving life in prison, we're not facing the, the penalty there is some type of, okay, this is kind of at least over, even though yes. this wasn't us. <laughs> We've been pulled into all of this. We're pleading for our life at this point. So at this point, the, the feds, the federal, the feds, the federal government, they're investigating. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they send a drug team down to purchase drugs from everyone in the town who's, who's selling drugs. They then took these same people that they, were able to, to, to conduct these, these drug buys with, and they brought them in and said, look, we're gonna charge you, and you're gonna be facing 120 to 200 months for selling drugs if you don't give us something about this case, right? Tell us about Terrence and Ferran. Did they sell drugs? Have they ever sold drugs? So after doing this exercise, they came up with what I would say really was, a laundry list of people that were getting deals in exchange for the testimony that they gave. It wasn't one person who testified against Terrence and Ferran who didn't receive a deal. Not wow. one person, not wow. one person. Meanwhile, there was never any physical evidence to attach them to this case at all. They had solid alibis. Right. And the people who were against them were, were incentivized to do it. So, so that, that was a question I just wanted to point out. They did have alibis. They had alibis. They had solid alibis, unfettered alibis. But you know what? The problem with our criminal justice system is, is this, especially in terms of, of, of the accused and especially in, in terms of if the accused is African-American. The, 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 the last place you want to be when you're accused of something is with friends or family because they will not be believed in a court of law. Right. Get this, right? If, if, if unsavory characters such as gangbangers and drug dealers are your alibi for you not to be found guilty, they'll easily be discredited. Mm -hmm. But somehow when these same gangbangers and drug dealers are on the stand and they're, they're working, they're, they're testifying on behalf of the government, 
Now, all of a sudden, they're walking around with holy water in their pocket and Bibles in their front pockets, right? Believe everything that they say. That's exactly what happened with Terrence and Farron. And I also want to, I want to point this out for people to have a further and a deeper understanding of exactly, you know, this drug charge and these drug charges like this. Rudy Giuliani made the federal racketeering and conspiracy law famous when he tackled and took down the mob. And what he did was he was able to pierce the veil of the mob gang by being able to use people to testify because the bosses were so insulated that you could never catch them in the act of doing anything. So all you would need for Rico was to get testimony of active people involved in the gang to be able to testify about who was calling the shots. So for that, it was needed, right? Because you're talking about powerful people who are well insulated. So right. what did they do after that? They did what they always do. And federal prosecutors across the country started to use this same law on African-Americans. I'm talking about African-Americans and people of color that me and you know couldn't even afford to rub two nickels together. But by the time they made it to a trial, they were sitting up there and being accused of Nino Brown. Right. 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 And so, so what we have to understand and what we talked about earlier was this. Look, narrative was the worst thing that came out of slavery. It wasn't the chains and whips, right? Because we can heal from that, right? Even though some lost their lives. What you can't heal from is the perpetuation of the, the injustice, incarceration, and, and gentrification and segregation that the narrative continues to do to us today. Today. Right? So Terrence and Ferran, so the FBI came in. What what was their fate? And remind us, what year is this now? This is 2000 now. Now it's now we're looking at the year 2000. You're talking about a year and a half after the case started, right? So now a year and a half after the case started, they go to trial. They're charged for the murder and they're charged for the drugs. They are found not guilty of the murder, but they were found guilty of one single count of of of, of selling drugs okay the federal court has the power in a supreme court case the supreme court has addressed this that a federal court can sentence a person for alleged allegations what to life in prison i'm sorry yes. you can you can be sentenced by allegedly alleged you don't have to be found guilty you could be, you could be, the judge can take into consideration and make his own finding based on allegations and other evidence. Even when you're found not guilty. Yes. Even when you're found not guilty. Yes. So here's what happened. So now they're found not guilty of the murder. They would have been facing somewhere around 10 years, 15 years for the drugs, if, if that. The federal court used the state court guilty pleas to base a finding on in the finding of guilt. So in, in doing that, you understand now why I'm down in Sussex County, right? right? You understand now why I'm calling on this black man who's the Commonwealth to do the right thing. And so you also have to understand why I am completely and utterly disappointed. Who is the Commonwealth attorney in Sussex? The Commonwealth attorney right now in Sussex County is a man by the name of Vincent Robertson. Mm -hmm. um, he knows about the case. 
He knows that there, that there are problems with the case. He's told the family that he wants to open up an investigation and do something. But right now, he's not doing that. He's trying to win an election on November 3rd. That's what he's trying to do. It's It's been 20 years. What's been happening? Yeah, and that's that, that's his, that was his response to, to me when I inquired about it. Oh, it's been 20 years. You know, I don't know how why all of this has to fall on me. Why are you coming out? This is a federal case. You need to go to the feds. You need to go to the president. So so once again, once again. To the president. Yes, exactly. So 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 you know, that statement was to tell you how much he cares about acting um in his capacity. So Jared, what who actually has the power at this point to make a decision about their freedom? Let me tell you, there are multiple people right now who have the power, right? But it starts in Sussex County. Mm-hmm. If this is what this is as simple as, as, as the Sussex County Commonwealth has to do. He could do one of the three things. He can open back up an investigation, right? Because if if these guys didn't kill that officer, what does that mean? Someone's out there who did, right? right? So he has a duty and a responsibility. He can open back up an investigation into the case. Or he can call the attorney general and say, look, there's something wrong with the case in my county. It happened before I took over. I'm asking for a special investigation from a separate entity to look into this case, to find out what's going on and answer these questions. Here is a report from the attorney who's turned over all of these facts, right? He can also do this. He can provide an affidavit of support to attach to a motion to an appellate court asking that the the convictions be reversed. And that's simply all we've ever asked him to do. Here's something else, Chelsea, that I want to mention that I didn't mention. We're not just here saying lack of evidence, they didn't do it. What we're saying is what's come to light now is a statement from a young girl who was the only eyewitness to what happened that night. They remember how I told you about my case and they withheld that statement. I have to say, I feel like we just heard this story. They withheld the statement of this young girl who identified someone else, both both in in in, in a statement that she hand wrote a three page statement and her statement matched up exactly to what the officer said in the description. Terrence and Ferran have never matched that description, not even remotely. Now, is this the young girl that went home that night, told her mother about the story, and her mother made her go and tell what was happening um, that night? And I believe this is this is definitely the same young girl who wrote who wrote the three page statement that that very night. They knew that they knew about this that very night. They knew. They knew. And again, how did this piece of evidence come to light, and when? It, it didn't come into light until after their federal convictions and, and years later. I just, you know, uncovered the document in 2017. Wow. That's how long it's been buried right now. Wow. I went to the state, the state, we, we filed a motion in state court to compel the state police to give us the, the entire file. They fought against it and the court ruled in their favor saying a criminal defendant isn't entitled to, to, to his own criminal file. So how, how did you all come about it? So we, we got the statement through, there was a, there was a sheriff who was sued um, as a result of this case. His lawyers did a bunch of subpoenas. When they did a bunch of subpoenas, a bunch of documents came back. Mm. So he was getting ready to throw the documents away. And that's how it came to light. This is not justice, Jared. This is not no, justice. No, it's no, it's it's not. 
Not only is it not justice, it's criminal what's going on down there. Come on. It's criminal. So you mentioned three points. I'm just going to run past them one more time is to open up a new investigation. Number two is to call the attorney general, Mark Herring right yes. now and, and say a special investigation for a special entity from a special entity. And he, yes. Mark Herring, by the way, is running for reelection and he has many competitors. So he should be interested in this conversation. And number yes. And number three, it's just an affidavit in support to the appellate court. And these are very, these are three things right there locally that can be done. And yeah. you said that this was a black man. Say his name one more time. His name is Vincent Robertson. Vincent That's his Robertson. name. And, Vincent, and, and also, let me tell you another name. I don't want anyone to forget this name. Lydia Ramsey. Lydia Ramsey was the Commonwealth's attorney down in, in Sussex County when these cases were, were entered into a plea agreement. Lydia Ramsey sat in that seat for 20 years and did absolutely nothing at all. And she yeah. did this all the way to a seat on a bench. That's what she did. So now she's a judge. So this is, this is what, yeah. So this is what I want people to understand. There's a reason why injustices continue to happen because the people who look like us, who are supposed to be there, who we vote and who we support, they're being rewarded for their complicity. That's what they're, that's what they're being rewarded for. This is some, look, it's simple. It, this is not anything difficult where the Commonwealth himself or herself doesn't have the power to walk into court and file a motion and then instantly be dismissed. Their support, do I have to tell you how important their support to, to, to do something? I mean, come on. You don't, you don't. And which is why them sitting and saying nothing is telling everybody in the system what to do, which exactly. is to do nothing. It's a and nod and a wink. It's a nod and a wink. So right now, I because I am grateful that this, um, about their stories coming to light, we do know that next week, November the 2nd, there is a march in Waverly County yeah. um, to bring attention to this. So um, do you have any other information to shout that out? Here's what we're doing. Look, we're, we're down. We're going down to Sussex County. We're going to Waverly, Virginia. And what we're going to do is we're, we're not going to even march because the one thing that I don't want, I don't want foolishness. And I'm, I'm going to send you a video um, of the, 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 the Commonwealth's attorney basically using riotous inciting language to thwart this November 2nd event. We're not even marching anymore. We're gonna have a prayer vigil. Wow. So we're gonna be on the grounds of the church and we're gonna make a couple of statements and we're gonna pray and then we're gonna leave because what they want is foolishness. So they can, they, can, they can blanket what the real issue is. And the real issue is this. Look, look, listen, black folks, listen to me. We, we've went through enough and we can't accept less anymore. And we most certainly can't accept less from people who look just like us. Right. Don't ask for a position if you don't want the responsibility that comes with it. Look, Ferran has pastors, all type of people in his family, important people. So does Terrence. No one is willing to step up and say and do anything because they're terrified of the backlash and of the, the, the career suicide and the, the historical, historical punishment of people doing the right thing. Mm. And if you don't think 
that that's a barrier to equality, then we're not in the same conversation. And what I'm hearing you say is a lot of what we say right here in Richmond is that the people in power right now are black people. Yeah. The folks intimidating us that make us yeah. worry about our reputation and our livelihoods and we can't speak our truth. Yeah. Are the Kim folk. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I, look, look, I don't look, I love, look, I love black folks. Yeah. Like I do, you know, but it, but it pains me and it hurts me, you know, that, that we, we, for, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, um, we just can't see how there is no equality unless those who are in positions to help it become equal take that step. You know, I, I was told, I was told by someone, um, you know, pastor, you know, in 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 Ferran Claiborne's family, um, you know, I was told he said, you know, I. I, I want to support, but I just can't put it out there like that because, you know, my followers and stuff, you know, they like, they like positive stuff. And, you know, and I also, I come from Waverly and I got a pass and I don't want people attacking me. And, and, and I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want this. And so my, my, my question, my question is this, you know, when do we band together and take care of us? Mm-hmm. Instead of instead of telling people that don't look like us what they should be doing for us, mm. and I I don't you know I, I, like I said before, you know I I've been through a whole lot. It is it is what gives me my never ending burning of of passion. Right. But I'm also very knowledgeable and I'm well read on things and well versed in other areas as well. And I'm telling you right now, if 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 you 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 know our counterparts. We'll go at each other's neck. But when it's time, when it's time to come for us, they link up like a chain. Right. We don't do that. No. We we get up here and do some Daniel Cameron stuff. We get up here and do what the what the Commonwealth's attorney down in, in Sussex is doing. No one is asking anyone to do anything that they can't do. And one of the most powerful things you can do is have a conversation about what's real, what's right. There is no halfway right. You're right. either right or you're wrong. Right. And and it really is banding together, even for folks that might have a label of gangbangers or things like that. Those are still our folks. No, and they, it, listen, gonna, right. Absolutely. Look, here's what I want. Here's right. what I'm saying. Here's what, I, you know, and here's what I'm saying by, 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 by with, with the statement, you know, they, they place labels on us. So when I say gangbanger or drug dealer or anything like that, I'm not saying that on, on us. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm repeating right the narratives that have right. been placed, the jackets that have been placed on us. Because if you really want to talk about it, man, look what, I'm still an ex-convict, ex, uh, uh, right? right? You know what I mean? Even yeah. though my conviction was reversed, I don't have a record, I still did the time. I right. still had the experience. Right, right. You know, Jared Adams, I'm really appreciative of all your time. Take a moment and tell me a little bit about your firm, your work, yeah. and um, how people can follow you. So if you're looking to follow me, just go to, to you know, first of all, lifeafterjustice.org. Um, it's an organization that, you know, we've, we've built um, to service people um, who, who, who need help like this, who need voices. Now, we can't take all cases because we just don't have the, the extended budget, but we do take cases such as this that have the opportunity to create preventative precedent, you know, when these cases right. come to, to, you know, to, to through adjudication. Right. So, um, 
I have a separate firm. My practice is the law offices of Jared Adams. And you can find me at Jared Adams Law. Um, you could do a Google to learn more about my story and, and sign this petition. There's a petition on not guilty serving life. Sign a petition, write a letter, letter to the, the attorney general, to the governor. Look, don't wait. Don't right. wait. For Terrence and Ferran, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's a petition out right now that's almost to 10,000 signatures, but we even need more than that. So these are things Absolutely. that people, I can't say this on the radio, so, but tell people about the petition. So the petition right now is, is available for folks to go and sign. It's a petition for Terrence and Ferran. And we're asking for the Commonwealth's attorney, the attorney general, and the governor to act in this case. You know, it's a shame that people in Richmond don't know about this, right? And, and, and it's a huge case. You would think that they would know about it. But Waverly is not Richmond. Waverly is almost 100 years behind Richmond. I don't even like driving through Waverly, okay? Man. It's real. It's really real. So there's the petition out there that you all are asking. It's the show up and uh, participate in the vigil that's happening on November 2nd. And then yeah. continuing to share this story, right? Share it. There's going to be a filing that's made on that week of November 2nd. I'm making a filing um, to the governor's office for a petition for clemency. And then we're also going to do an actual innocence petition. I'll be sending a copy to the attorney general asking for a meeting before I file it. I need everybody to tweet, ask about this case, and, and, and ask for the truth. All right, Mark Heron, you're going to be hearing from a lot of people, it sounds like. And with all these elections coming up, remember next June 2021, all these folks are up for re-election. Mark Herring is up for re-election. We've got three people running for governor. So Ralph Northam, send that petition to him, but he is out of the office in January. Making sure that these candidates are also aware of what you want them to hear and what how you want them to govern. This is going to be an important case. We know usually the clemency here is around two years if they even get heard. And if you are a race capital listener, then you've been hearing about other clemency petitions that Ralph Northam, our governor, has completely ignored. And it's important to continue to see that there are multiple people that need this attention right now. And Terrence and Ferran are definitely in our minds and our hearts. Thank you so much, Jared Adams, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I hope you have me back soon. Last thing, we just received breaking news that the family of the officer who died has come out in, in support of opening an investigation. Shut up. Come on. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. We'll talk I'll soon. Okay. Episode. Okay. Sounds right. good. Bye. That concludes our episode this week of Race Capital. Thanks so much to our guest, Jared Adams. Thanks so much to my co-host, Kalia Harris and Naomi Isaac. I'm your host, Chelsea Higgs Wise. Make sure you tune in every week right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. We'll catch you next week right here on Race Capital. Mm-hmm.